Hi, it's Arjun with the audio version of my note, Dumb Calls I Made as a Street Analyst. This one focused on Occidental Petroleum post its March 2000 acquisition of Altura Energy, a Permian Basin property it bought from Shell and BP that I did not like that deal at the time. And it was a really bad call. Uh, you know, you notice on social media, people tend to fall into two buckets. There's either the snark like you have on Twitter that essentially is directed at other people's bad calls, uh, or there's the kind of self-congratulatory, aren't I great type analysis, both on Twitter and on LinkedIn and so forth. And I thought it'd be more interesting to take a, a different take. Here's a call, call where I think I had a terrific framework to analyze the sector and still do, but it did not work in a big way in my application of it uh, to this specific call. And that that's really what I wanted to go through today. So. Prior to this note, I wrote two deep dive posts on return on capital, really articulating my framework for how to look at traditional oil and gas. I think the return on capital cycles are very long-term in nature, 10 to 15 years. You go up uh, on a structural basis and then you go down. And there's a lot of information, there's a lot of relative positioning and how to think about what's going on in this sector in light of the paradigm that you're in. Are you in a structural bull market for returns on capital or a structural bear market? Uh, 1991 to 2006, structural bull. Uh, 2006 to 2020, structural bear. I do think 2020 marked the trough of that 15-year downturn. And that 2021 will be the, the first year of what will, I think, be a multi-year, decade-plus-long uh, improvement cycle for returns on capital. But what I'd like to do today is go back to the 2000 timeframe and highlight Occidental Petroleum. And so let, let me just give a little bit of background on what it was like to be an energy analyst. And I, I launched coverage at Goldman in December of 99. So this is kind of one of the first things to happen since I launched coverage. Oxy makes this major Permian Basin acquisition. And if you go back to the early 2000s, neither oil nor the Permian is what we think of it today. Um, oil had traded between $14 and $22 a barrel for most of the 1990s. With hindsight, sector returns on capital were steadily improving, but not for Oxy, only for really the integrated major oil companies who focused on cost cutting, they focused on going international, on offshore to varying degrees. The last place you wanted to be would be domestic onshore conventional U.S., and that's exactly what Oxy did. They actually did an acquisition in 1998 of the Elk Hills property in California. And I remember there were three bidders. Uh, Chevron came in at like 2.3, 2.4 billion, if I remember correctly. Texaco, and this was pre-merger with Chevron, they came in, I remember, like 2.7. And I want to say uh, Oxy came in at around $3 billion. And that relationship between what these companies were willing to bid and what their returns on capital were, were almost a perfect inverse correlation. Chevron was highest return, Texaco somewhere in the middle, Oxy was the worst of the lot in that time frame. Uh, another big highlight from that period was sort of the big contract uh, Dr. Irani had, the CEO Ray Irani, uh, to be CEO, and it got renegotiated and he got a big payout and he still was CEO. And we we're all like, are you kidding me? This stock has been an absolute disaster. You made a lot of money for a disaster stock, and now you're getting paid out, and you're still going to be CEO. None of that really made sense to the analyst community, uh, is what it is. So with, with that by way of background, the idea that it made sense for an underperforming company like Oxy 
to go do two major onshore U.S. acquisitions at a time we all, quote unquote, knew oil would never, ever go up again, uh, was really against the against the grain. And you can already guess that therein is a lot of the mistakes that I made. I think the return on capital framework is the right one to look at for this sector. You ultimately have to be a return accretive company, i.e. generating returns better than your cost of capital. If you're a newer company with a newer property, that might be a couple years down the road after the investment period. But ultimately, you have to be profitable or there's really no point to existence. And certainly for a larger company, of which Oxy was one at that time frame, uh, really double-digit mid-teens return on capital absolutely should have been the target and objective. In the 1990s, Oxy generated a 5% return on capital, below the 8.5% for the sector and well below the 13% that the major integrated oils averaged in the 1990s, again, in that $14 to $22 type environment. So with all this by way of background, um, there was no expectation that Oxy knew what they were doing. And my note uh, that I wrote on March 9th basically got to that point that it said effectively, these idiots at Oxy uh, need $25 oil for this deal to work. We're forecasting $17.50 forever uh, at the time. And if they do this deal, oil will never meet their expectations. This is a high-cost property. Who would possibly want to buy onshore the U.S.? Um, fast forward, this deal was an absolute home run for two reasons. First, they actually did a good job executing on the assets. A lifelong lesson is buying properties from major oils that have ignored the property is usually a good money-making thing. And I, I actually think I did know that at the time, but my sort of mistrust, uh, disdain, whatever you want to call it, for the management team at that time uh, kind of clouded my judgment there. Um, I, I think uh, uh, clearly the structural bull market we entered helped a lot. But this was not just a lucky call on oil prices. If you look at the return on capital graph I show of Oxy's post Altura return on capital, um, you'll see how sharply its returns outperformed both the majors and the sector through 2005. That is a sign of not just leverage to the oil price, but actually executing well on what were really the two major acquisitions, both Elk Hills and the Permian Basin. So. They did a good job at the properties, and they benefited from the macro environment. I, of course, ultimately did make a, a bullish oil macro call. I, it is the, the the namesake of this podcast and newsletter. Um, but I was not there in 2000, and that was a big mistake. So, um, you know, what are all the things I got wrong? There was low-hanging fruit. Oil didn't average 1750 forever, as we all thought. Uh, and that ultimately, this company had also made some changes. Steve Chasen who I think everyone listening to this knows, uh, became a, a very successful, I'm going to call him CFO or number two person at Oxy. And he was just moving into kind of that senior visible ranks at Oxy. So whatever one thought about Dr. Rani, and I, I ended up getting along with Dr. Rani and have come to respect certainly the second half of his tenure at the company, this 2000s period, where I will give him credit for being a big catalyst between these two acquisitions. He's a controversial figure, but I think uh, it's you know he he did do these deals. Uh, the company did get fixed, and he ended up promoting people like uh, like Steve Chasen. But Steve Chasen clearly a catalyst to uh, the significant improvement we saw at Oxy. And I think 
therein is all the issues with a return on capital or any framework. Um, I was very backwards looking. I did not think Oxy could change. I did not recognize that the macro was going to change. I did not recognize that these specific assets, Elk Hills and Permian Basin, had a lot of low-hanging fruit, maybe not at $17.50 or below, but certainly at a $20 type environment, let alone the we went to $100 type upside that uh, that ultimately transpired. And, you know, I think there's a lot of lessons to apply looking forward. Um, you know, coming out of the 1990s, the EMPs, like, Oxy was technically an integrated bit then, but back then, but on their way to be an EMP, there was a lot of value destruction. That turned into a major decade of value creation. No doubt the macro helped, but so did company-specific actions. And I think that type of environment is what we're looking at for the 2020s. Oil is a deeply cyclical business. If you go back to my launch at co coverage at, at Goldman, the title of the report was Vying for Attention in an Internet World. Um, there is a current super major oil that created a green and yellow logo and rebranded themselves beyond uh, this current sector. And there are a lot of echoes with what we are seeing today. Everyone thought you only needed to be international and offshore. Why would you possibly want to be domestically oriented? So maybe the corollary today is everyone only wants to be in shale. I am uh, personally positive on the leading Permian players that have good tier one acreage. But there might be some lesson in here about should we be looking at medium cycle opportunities? I don't know if that's offshore or Canada or other parts of the world, but there's certainly some lesson that the macro environment that transpired the decade before isn't necessarily going to replicate going forward. I, I think just a final postscript on Oxy, what's kind of really disappointing for me personally is not only did I not get the bullish call, I, I was bearish, what should have been a bullish call right in the early 2000s, and somewhere along the way I upgraded the stock. Um, it probably worked okay coming out of the trough of the 0809 financial crisis, but I had a bullish call on this for 2010 to 2014 at a time its absolute and relative returns on capital were actually eroding. So Believe it or not, I actually got this call wrong in both directions for essentially the same reason, which was being backwards looking in my return on capital analysis. So um, that's it for this week. I do want to wish everyone uh, happy holidays, happy, uh, happy new year, Merry Christmas. If you're in the UK, happy Christmas. And we will see you all, at least audio wise, uh, in the new year. Uh, I do have a Dear Santa note coming out later this week so you all know what my Christmas wishes are. Thank you.